Support for Warm Regards and the following message come from Wonder Capital, allowing individuals to invest in solar projects. Earn up to 8.5% annually while diversifying your portfolio and combating global climate change. Create an account for free at wondercapital.com slash warm. Do well and do good. This is Warm Regards, a dialogue linking climate scientists, newsmakers, journalists, and other humans on the front lines of climate change. I'm Andy Revkin, ProPublica's senior reporter for climate, recording today in Cold Spring, New York, where it's been in the 70s for a very long time. Although, I, from what Eric Holthouse told us about, via Twitter, the first game of the World Series will be the hottest ever up in the high 90s in L.A. area when we're recording. Uh, Jacqueline Gill, our resident paleocologist, is in Kuwait, and Eric Holthouse, our master meteorologist and grist blogger, is tending to his family. So it's just me today, but I'm thrilled to be able to have a conversation with Joe Clement, a longtime Department of Interior staff scientist and senior policy analyst. Back in July... Clement stirred things up by filing a complaint and a whistleblower disclosure form with the Office of Special Counsel at the Interior Department. Why? Well, he explained in the Washington Post uh, on that very day, he was one of about 50 senior department employees who received letters informing us, informing them of involuntary reassignments, as he said in his op-ed, citing the letter cited a need to, quote, improve talent development, mission delivery, and collaboration. And he said the letter informed him that he was reassigned to an unrelated job in the accounting office that collects royalty checks from fossil fuel companies. Irony alert. (laughs) There's other news, but I think we're going to focus on this because uh, it's an extraordinary thing that uh, he has set in motion. And so, Joel, greetings and thank you for being with us. Hi, Andy. Thanks. It's good to be on. And basically, the questions from my end are really simple. Uh, what 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 was it like to get that letter? But proceed that with a little bit of a description of what you were doing. Yeah, sure. I I was the director of the Office of Policy Analysis. So in, in running the the policy office at DOI, I was responsible for a, a lot of the cross cutting issues uh, that our bureaus uh, touch on. And at DOI, that's a, a lot of bureaus. Everything from the Park Service, National Park Service, to the Fish and Wildlife Service, the U.S. Geological Survey. Uh, and uh, Bureau of Land Management and Bureau of Indian Affairs and others. So a uh, very diverse portfolio. And, and my focus much of the time was on how these bureaus could address uh, climate adaptation, uh, the impacts of climate change on their assets and equities, and how we as an agency could perform our mission despite what are, were already being seen as dramatic impacts. And one of the issue areas I was focused on uh, was uh, helping the uh, Alaska Natives uh, who were imperiled by uh, the impacts of climate change uh, in the Arctic. I uh, was working with other agencies around D.C. to get them the resources they needed. And there in, in Interior, was there some particular component of that that historically was Interior's part of that job? Yeah, well, the, the health and well-being of uh, American Indians and Alaska Natives is the responsibility of Interior. We, the, the agency is the federal trustee for American Indians and Alaska Natives. So uh, ultimately, it's at the core of our mission. 
and you started about seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was, what, what's your background? You're you're um, in science. Well, I, I was a forest ecologist before I got into some of the public lands issues out west at a private foundation. So my training was uh, as a field biologist, uh, started to work on climate change adaptation uh, in the early part of the century when it became clear that a lot of our public lands assets in the west were being compromised quickly already at that time uh, by the impacts of climate change. Um, had you already felt signs of political intrusion starting, you know, in January, or was this like out of the blue? Well, you know, honestly, I, after the election, I thought, well, you know, this is bad news for EPA because they work on climate change mitigation and greenhouse gas issues, but our work to address the impacts of climate change that we're seeing right now, it shouldn't be compromised. And I, I the ominous reminder that I was being naive was when uh, President Trump rescinded the, uh, North Bering Sea Climate Resilience Executive Order that uh, President Obama had signed the previous December. That was an executive order that provided for the resilience of the Alaska Natives that I was working closely with. And when that was rescinded, I realized that, gosh, they're now they're going to come after everything that even has a whiff of climate change to it, regardless of whether it's greenhouse gas related or, or impacts to, to Americans. And do you have a sense of how, like you, your note said there were about 50 people at the department who got this letter. What range of job types did they have? Well, on one hand, it's hard to know because they have yet to release the list, uh, despite frequent proddings from the Senate and uh, from other bodies in D.C. Uh, they haven't released that list, but there's, there's a little bit of a, you know, kind of internal communications mechanism for finding out. And it sounds like uh, there are people from across the department. There was a little bit of a focus, perhaps, on the Bureau of Indian Affairs. There seems to be, uh, uh, oh, there seems to be a lot of women and minorities on the list, uh, but it's hard to tell so far. That's pretty wild. Yeah. And so what technically is this job that you've been moved to? Well, I was reassigned to the Office of Natural Resources Revenue, which is the office that collects and disperses royalty income from uh, oil and gas and mining companies. So that takes a good advantage of your forest ecology skills yeah, and right. your background dealing with Alaskan indigenous peoples. A perfect fit, yeah. But you still get a paycheck. Well, so that all ended. I, uh, I earlier this month, uh, officially resigned uh, from that position, uh, submitted my resignation because it was very clear uh, that the department was not going to change their tune on climate change, that my voice uh, was going to be lost in the department as part of this uh, uh, auditing office. So I submitted the resignation and I'm now a free agent. I was, I was a lot more worried about losing my voice than I was about losing my job. And uh, so I'm going to work on these same issues from outside the agency now and hope that, uh, hope that I can make a difference and hope that I can work with other potential whistleblowers going forward. My case is still active. It doesn't change things with the case. So uh, hopefully yeah. um, things will still go well in that regard, and I can encourage others to do the same. Have you been involved with uh, any of the organizations like PEER, you know, that it's, it's been this environmental employee yeah. whistleblowy place for a long time? Uh, yeah, PEER's been around for a while, and they, they're real helpful. Uh, I've also spoken with uh, the Government Accountability Project, 
and the project on, on government oversight. So there are some good whistleblower, whistleblower support organizations out there to, to talk with and, and to learn from. I also have a super attorney, uh, Katie Atkinson, who's been providing me the guidance that I need uh, and some great help with, uh, with how to reach out uh, to folks ac across the spectrum of organizations. Uh, the, when you resigned, uh, did you compose a letter that included some discussion of these issues I, that popped up? I did. It's, uh, it's been called scathing, but I didn't, uh, didn't hold back. Uh, I, uh, the Washington Post, when they uh, wrote about my resignation, they, they put my resignation letter up, and it quickly made, its, made the rounds. Uh, across Twitter and the media outlets, yeah. uh, because it, it it was it was I felt very important to express what had been happening at Interior and what the the objectives were there. Yeah, and I've been so dug in on a complicated story that a lot of the news in recent weeks has slid by me, and this is what I cover. So that just kind of tells you how much news there There's is. So much out there. happening. Yeah, you know, if this were an isolated um, instance, it might be. Well, it's still it's significant, but, you know, it would be oh, I, different. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing time. It's a target-rich environment for stories out there. It's, a, it's, 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 it's really dramatic, and in a lot of ways, I think it contributes to the, the uh, opportunity for people to ignore some of these stories. So I do think it's important what you're doing here, and, and that I have to say one of my take-home messages from this whole experience has been the the role of journalism these last few months has been just so crucial and it's it's fascinating and frightening to hear how the president talks about that yeah it's the um one of the challenges of our time you know the uh, the internet and social media were supposed to connect everybody and facilitate flows of information but they do level the playing field in ways that make it noisier too yeah yeah that's right, but some great, and more tribal. That's right, but I, I I will say that there's an awful lot of good information out there, and I and because it was such a dramatic year, uh, when I speak to folks, uh, it's not difficult to draw the lines among those hurricanes and wildfire events and so on to say, look, you know, this isn't the time is past when climate change and its impacts could be seen as a remote and distant phenomenon. Right. So, do you have any more? plans to um is there another forum or way to challenge this i mean i don't know about lawsuits is there i did when you're a federal employee and these kinds of things happen are there other ways to have recourse or or, or do you have, just wait for the general counsel to come forward well there are two the, the senate also uh requested that the inspector general at doi uh, do their own investigation so that's also ongoing and that was because they reassigned so many people all at once, and there was some. Uh, it it it. Uh, there was some suspicious uh, issues there. So, the IG investigation is ongoing now. Uh, the Office of Special Counsel investigation is ongoing, and if, in the end, if I were to prevail in that, and they make uh, certain stipulations to Interior, which they then refuse to do it would then go to district court. And, and on top of that, uh, many organizations, including uh, myself, have uh, made FOIA requests to the agency for more information that have been thus far uh, ignored. So those types of things right. go to district court as well. 
Right. Yeah. At ProPublica, um, we recently tweeted someone that ProPublica sent a note around saying, how many of you have FOIAs that are in progress and how many are there? And when we tallied it all up, it was uh, 1,400. Oh, wow. Yeah, not so, surprised. Um, I mean, even just around my whistleblower issue alone, I'm, there, are, there are dozens. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. Well, do you think, there, do you see any kind of upside in this in terms of engaging people uh, broadly, more broadly on both what government does on questions like this and the, you know, what, what might be um, in danger as a result? I, I do. I, I have some hope around this. I, you know, for example, the clean power plan uh, that EPA uh, had not yet implemented because of a court uh, holdup. Um, as you know, uh, Administrator Scott Pruitt, the EPA, said, hey, we're not even going to implement that darn thing. And it, it got attention not because it's the usual back and forth in D.C., but because the Supreme Court has ruled three times that in fact, EPA must regulate uh, 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 global warming uh, pollution and these greenhouse gases, that they're required to do that. This is not, a, this is not overreach. This is them responding to the law. So uh, what, we're, what we're now seeing, and I think it'll become very evident to the public, is on one hand, all these disasters, uh, these juiced-up hurricanes that are, that are juiced up by uh, the, the warming seas and, and warmer atmosphere, um, on one hand, and then on the other hand, a lot of court cases that are coming of their disregard for American health and safety. So I, I can't see how that does not lead to uh, greater public awareness in the, in the next uh, two or three years, for sure. Support for Warm Regards and the following message come from Wonder Capital. Wonder Capital's online investment platform allows you to invest in solar energy projects across the U.S., Earn up to 8.5% annually while also diversifying your portfolio, curbing pollution, and combating global climate change. With Wonder's help, individual investors like you financed more than 50 large-scale solar projects in 2017. With Wonder's help, individual investors like you financed more than 50 large-scale solar projects in 2017, which will offset the CO2 emissions from 14.2 million pounds of coal burned in the first year alone. You can begin investing with as little as $1,000. And best of all, Wonder Capital doesn't charge any investor fees. To learn more about the solar projects Wonder Capital is helping to finance and the impact of their investments, create an account for free at wondercapital.com warm. Wonder Capital. Do well and do good. Yeah, it was interesting that um, there's just some coverage the last day or so of, of uh, Scott Pruitt gave an interview, I think it was to Time magazine, where he implied um, he was questioning the endangerment finding, meaning the Supreme Court um, conclusion that CO2 can be regulated as a, as a pollutant, even as he signaled he wasn't planning to challenge it. And that, that's kind of an interesting mix. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it, uh, on one hand, it's it's frustrating to see the kind of disregard for the law and the lack of transparency, but their clumsiness and ham-handed approach uh, to this to this stuff is is going to keep them from succeeding. So I guess that's a, a positive, right? Is that um, the, their zealous approach to the issue is not backed up by uh, 
institutional knowledge, experience, or uh, understanding of the issues. And there's also, um, I wrote a piece, um, well, a couple of pieces early on in, in the this year, kind of reminding readers that the climate problem operates on timescales that are way bigger than our political timescales. And so it, in a weird way, one of the upsides of where we're at is that um, this problem is way bigger than one president. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, um, it was also way bigger than Obama. You know, a lot. If you look at some of the gains that were made um, in those eight years uh, on on emissions, for example, that mostly reflected um, the rise of natural gas as an abundant fuel, and uh, and then even the transportation plans that he had. Most of the heavy lifting was pretty far out, well beyond, you know, one administration's capacity to sort of uh, move beyond having a grand intent. So it kind of works in both directions. It's The issue just is a very enduring one. Yeah, that, that's a, a good point. And as I get into my 50s, I, I get a better understanding of uh, what the passage of time can mean. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, with this issue, I... I I can't help but think, yeah, sure, we're we're in a tough spot right now with this administration, but uh, the pendulum will swing back. There will be opportunities to reverse these these great losses. The the question, of course, is how much uh, suffering and damage uh, is going to be uh, taking place that could have been avoided. And I think that's just, you know, it's an unfortunate fact of of politics in this country right now. The rest of the world is, of course, waiting uh, for us to snap out of it. Um, but uh, it, it yeah. does sometimes take time. Yeah, and actually this week, uh, when as we're recording this just yesterday, um, uh, Nicaragua was the uh, went back into um, supporting the Paris Agreement. That leaves only Syria and the United States at this point. Yeah, and technically the U.S. is still on board, and until 2020 uh, yeah. will be. So, um, you know, I, I expect that a lot can change between now and then, and uh, I guess I have my fingers crossed, and I'm hopeful that the U.S. will remain a, a signatory there and, and uh, continue to participate. doesn't make much sense to pull out of something that's so fully optional anyway. I know. That that I never quite understood, but I'm sure there's some logic for um, some of those folks who helped uh, get President Trump into office. Well, you know, the logic, as twisted as it is, as far as I can tell, for both on the inside and outside is they just need to reverse everything that happened in the prior administration. That is the extent of their strategy and muzzle the scientists and experts and, and provide industry with greater access. And they're to the extent it, they're so concerned about reversing Obama things that they even just talked about know, yesterday that uh, the president wants to change the name of Denali back to Mount McKinley up in Alaska, right? I mean, it's absolutely <laughs> absurd just because Obama did it. They want to reverse it, even though there's no constituency for that. It's, um, again, an amazing time. Yeah. Well, one thing I was hoping you might be able to do is um, muse on whether this can bring more attention to the um, Arctic indigenous people's issues more generally. And not just the Arctic, but uh, other Native American um, communities have challenges they face of many kinds. Uh, you know, I've... I was in um, on the North Slope a few years ago, and I've been in other parts of the Arctic where you see um, there's so many factors facing communities there, and climate is among them. 
just maybe you could provide listeners with a little bit more of a sense of um, how this plays out in the North. Yeah, I, I think uh, I've already learned that uh, certainly um, the Alaska Native villages have been hearing a lot more from media, but they haven't heard anything from Washington, D.C. otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it has been total uh, radio silence from D.C. So out in the region, some of the agency staff are trying to provide for the villages, but in terms of relocation, which is an expensive multi-year process, they need D.C. on board. So they're in trouble in that regard. Um, we all sort of we're all on pins and needles this time of year, which is the storm season up there. Without that ice there, without the sea ice moving in at all, uh, they're so extremely exposed. And some of these villages uh, do not have uh, much left underneath them, uh, the permafrost melting away uh, meters at a time and so on. So uh, there, this is a time of great peril up there. It's not, you know, we, we've certainly seen that uh, it's the, uh, communities of color, American Indian, Alaska Native, um, poor communities that are bearing the brunt uh, for the most part of these impacts. I think Puerto Rico is, is another really good example of that. Um, and I guess we we have to, on one hand, hope that the disasters don't come, but on the other hand, build resilience with and focus on resilience in a way that we never have before. And unfortunately, yeah. it's costly. Uh, so. Well, the weird thing is building resilience to hazards of this sort is something that is at least a certain chunk of the conservative and libertarian community is very supportive of. The uh, I've written about this off and on for ProPublica and then earlier for the Times where, um, you, you know, uh, libertarians hate the idea that we're subsidizing insurance mm-hmm. so that people can build badly and get repaid for their bad behavior yeah the repeat <laughs> but they get they, you know that doesn't seem to be reflected in the sort of the the trump style um response to its base no that's why i say that the full extent of their strategy is just to reverse the prior administration's work and it, there's a total lack of vision or even uh ideological uh consistency and, and as you mentioned you know cost benefit analyses have always been something that have been promoted by the the gop and, and the conservative side uh, of the spectrum, um, we're seeing that go out the window now. Obviously, building resilience now saves billions more than having to fund uh, a disaster response. So, um, like like you've said, and I'm sure you've written about, uh, it it makes good fiscal sense. Taxpayers for common sense are on board with these things, right? Right. In in Alaska, Murkowski, I thought was. Um, what was her position? Did, did she express an opinion, position when this whole issue erupted? Because I think she had been pretty supportive of uh, Alaskan rights issues. I, maybe I'm wrong about that. No, she has. She has been. Uh, she she understands that Alaska natives are are an important constituency that she cares very much about. She's between a rock and a hard place in some ways because, of course, the oil and gas industry is the underpinning of the Alaskan economy right now, and. Uh, and they're facing a, a pretty dramatic uh, economic downturn up there with the price of oil being so low. So she's in a tough spot, but she certainly, uh, although has not vocally come out and said, I support uh, Clement's whistleblower complaint, she has, uh, she has been very supportive of what the Alaska natives need. And she knows that relocation is, is important and uh, urgent. 
Was some of that reflected at even in interior? Uh, you know, I know in the energy department they have a there's a whole fossil fuel division and there's a renewable energy division, and certainly parts of um, interior are, are focused on maximizing some of those resource uses. Um, and then there's the part that's focused on things like climate adaptation. Did that come up culturally even before um, the administration shift? Yeah, there's always been a tension at DOI between the kind of the conservation mission uh, that the National Park Service and the Fish and Wildlife Service and others have, and the resource extraction mission. We the, the uh, BLM uh, administers mm -hmm. leasing onshore for oil and gas and mining, <clears throat> and BOEM and Bessie do the leasing offshore. So that, that is a you know that side of the house has always uh, it's always been a little bit of a challenge to reconcile these these oftentimes competing missions at DOI. And, and, and where you were in that sort of the policy shop, were there, is that where that would come to, where you'd see those two cultures or sides come together? Yeah, yeah, because that, uh, that's cross-cutting. And, and where that often landed while I was there was uh, around the issue of climate change and adapting and preparing our agencies to, to fulfill their missions despite uh, those changes. So yeah, that, that tension kind of defines DOI. Um, and of course now uh, the pendulum has strung, swung fully uh, toward the resource extraction side to the point where uh, you know, Secretary Zinke has, has been very uh, clear that he sees, even though in the beginning he said he was a Teddy Roosevelt uh, Republican who cared about public lands, he is uh, he cares about them as far as he can hand them over to oil and gas and mining. It's been it's been pretty uh, flagrant in that regard. So while he was tweeting or Instagramming from all those park visits, there were other things going on. Yeah, he was conducting a, a review of the national monuments, uh, um, the national monuments that have been created by previous administrations, uh, which was a very arbitrary and strange review because he just picked certain ones and they were clearly the ones that had been put in place uh, out in the West. And, and uh, he decided to provide a memo to the White House with his recommendations. And he, he did that, and it was riddled with errors and factual problems. And, and uh, it was clear that they didn't engage with the career staff at DOI, which is another major uh, concern these days. Uh, and in the process of doing that, he held half the Senate hostage because no senator was going to give him a hard time while he was considering whether their monument should be revoked, even though it's clearly illegal to do that. So it was uh, just a bizarre sort of Alice in Wonderland exercise uh, where he felt uh, he was playing the role of the Queen of Hearts and, and uh, when in fact it just looked silly from the outside. That's wild. Yeah. Well, um, is there... Um something the average person can do to facilitate um, sustaining a focus on some of the issues that have come up because of what happened there and or um, just uh, who, who would someone write to or send a check to that can help with any of these issues that folks who've been in a situation like yours are facing? Well, you know, on one hand, uh, and sort of ironically, Congress has been a backstop on a lot of this stuff, uh, preventing some pretty bad things from happening. Uh, because these, the Senate in particular, you know, they have constituencies that very much care uh, about public lands, and particularly in the West, they care about conservation and hunting and fishing and so on. So 
uh, you know, right, your senator, because the Senate is is on on the edge right now. They they have they allowed a vote uh, in the past few days to consider uh, uh, an item that would allow the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to be uh, opened up for oil and gas exploration. Now that was that was a, about a one or two vote margin, and and they need to hear from constituents saying these are public lands; these belong to all Americans. This is not. Uh, this is not appropriate the way we see it. And uh, you know, on one hand, I think that's very important. On the other hand, uh, I think a lot of really interesting things are happening at the local level. And one thing that this administration says they are trying to do is devolve decision-making out into the regions. Well, that provides an opportunity for some regional organizing. And there are a lot of good, good organizations uh, that work on that kind of stuff. Great. Good. So uh, are you going to be a pub public presence? Are you blogging or writing regularly? Is there some place people can find find you easiest uh, online? It, well, it's not easy to find me right now, um, but I am I am publicly writing. I published a, a piece on CNN, in the op, an op-ed uh, two weeks ago calling for Secretary Zinke's resignation. Uh, that was about a week after my own resignation. Uh, and I'll be putting out a few more pieces in coming weeks to talk about some of the issues that are happening at DOI and, and the direction that they ought to be going and, and why that's not happening. So, yeah, stay tuned. I'll be getting some things out there. Uh, probably use the, the Medium uh, website to do that. And uh, eventually we'll get a website up and running on my own uh, so people Good. can reach me more easily. And, of course, you and anyone still working there should be encouraged to... Um, Reach out to ProPublica with any, yeah. any tips or documents uh, or the like that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, you know, one of my missions right now is to stay in close touch with my former colleagues, and I've been hearing some things right. and learning some things in that regard. So I'm happy to pass them along. Good. Well, I think we'll uh, call it a day. I, I wish you luck in the coming months and years. Thanks, Andy. I've Again, enjoyed. this is a long journey. Yes, indeed. We got to keep the long um, here. Yeah, I'm already in my 60s, so um, I've seen these cycles, right. too, and um, yeah. it's a tough one. Yeah. Well, again, I really appreciate what's happening on the journalistic front and what you guys are doing with this podcast, so uh, keep up that good work, too. Good. So thank you for joining us, and uh, that's our show for today. There will be a lot more coming. If you like what we're doing here, please tell a friend. And always feel free to hit us up with your thoughts on future guests, show ideas, or pretty much anything. Our email address is ourwarmregards at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at ourwarmregards. For Jacqueline, Eric, and our producers, Eric Mack and Jesse Ann Baines, I'm Andy Revkin. Thanks for listening, everybody, and thank you, Joel, for being with us. Thanks. Great to be on. We'd like to thank Wonder Capital for their support of the Warm Regards podcast. Wonder Capital is an award-winning online investment platform that allows individuals to invest in solar energy projects across the U.S. Earn up to 8.5% annually while diversifying your portfolio, curbing pollution, and combating global climate change. Create an account for free at wondercapital.com warm. Wonder Capital. Do well and do good.